It's getting harder every year. I like the guy that says, I feel like a firecracker on the 5th of July. You know, just, just <laughs> totally gone, you know. So, yeah. Just hard to get going today. So we're in Romans chapter number 9. We're halfway through Romans. We're in our ninth month. You guys listen so slow. <laughs> it's been a long time, more than halfway through. I think the, last, the second half will go a little faster because I'm going to put it up to, what's that, fast speed, 78 or something, whatever. Anyways, um, things are happening in chapter 9, like I kind of told you a couple weeks ago. Things are going to happen. One section of Romans has ended, verses one, uh, chapters 1 through 8, uh, ends, and another focus is going to begin now. In chapter number 9, especially 9 through 11. First part of this book, Paul was thoroughly um, uh, convinced, he tried to thoroughly convince us about man's need of salvation. That was the emphasis, man's need of salvation. We went through all that in the first few chapters and then, and then more here. But in these next three chapters, there's some things that's really pressing on Paul's heart. In fact, there's two matters that are pressing on his heart. And they are associated with the problems in Israel. One of them is their, uh, their rebellion against God and the rejecting of Jesus Christ. And Paul is also very concerned about their salvation. As, as they rejected Christ, what else did they reject? The means of getting saved. So he's really con concerned about this. So Paul has to be careful here. Um, he has to introduce this very poor subject, very bad, very heartbreaking subject to them. And he's, he's got to do it uh, in a way, he knows he's going to cause an uproar, but he's got to do it in a way that he can, he can get it across to them and, and have some logical reasons for it so they would um, maybe understand. Israel rejected God. I'm reading in Ezekiel right now. Boy, if you read Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, God is really angry with Israel. I mean, he's really angry with them. He's giving them his hands still out. But these prophets are having to get really, really tough and try to convince the Israelites, the Jews, that they need to go back to God. And Paul's going to do the same thing here. Not only did Israel reject God, we'll find out in this chapter that God is going to reject Israel. And that's where we are today. God's going to reject them, and we'll, talk, and we'll discuss how that's going to happen. But the rejection of Israel was specifically, and we'll see this later on in the chapter, foretold by the prophets. God knew this was going to happen. He saw it. He knew it was out there. He knew it was going to happen, and he foretold us about it. And Paul's going to bring it to their attention. You know, if there was ever a people in the world that really, probably more than anybody else, uh, uh, the blessings, the birthright of the blessings of God, it belonged to the Jews. You know, Especially to their descendants in the flesh. We're talking a lot about the flesh today, the descendants in the flesh. There's, a, there's different kinds of descendants here. We'll discuss that if we get that far. The Jews should have been the first to receive Christ and God's plan was for them to propagate the gospel all over the world. 
Remember back in Romans chapter 3, they had the oracles of God. They had been entrusted with the oracles of God for the purpose of spreading. But they failed. They failed to do it. And because Israel, through their leaders, rejected the Savior, and the great majority of them followed those leaders. Blind leadership. I can make a parallel here, but I'm not going to do it. But um, their leaders were blind. And we'll talk more about that in a couple more chapters, how God had to harden them. They were blind. God hardened them even more. Okay? They willfully rebelled against God. They rejected Jesus. And consequently, they forfeited all their, uh, their rights and immunity secured by uh, their, their forefathers as a covenant. They, they forfeited everything. They lost it. So what does it mean that Israel missed its Messiah? What does it mean, uh, what does it say about God? What does it say about Israel? What does it say about our position in Christ? We'll discuss some of this. Paul's subject, he's going to talk about in Romans 9, the rejection of Israel, not by Israel, but the rejection of God of Israel and the calling of the Gentiles. It's not going to be a popular subject. Jews and Gentiles, you know, they don't mix, back then especially. So he had this subject, he had to um, get out there, and it was going to be repugnant, it was going to be repulsive in the ears of the Jews. They weren't going to like it. It was going to be bad. There was going to be some riots. There was going to be some G JLM riots. Jewish Lives Matter. I mean, there were going to be it was going to be bad. They were going to reject Paul and what he said. They were going to reject his message, and God knows it. That was prophesied. They were going to reject it. So Paul had to introduce his subject real tactfully. He had to do it in a way where he could get his message out, but kind of build up to it. And that's what we're going to do in chapter 9. We're going to build up to that and let them understand in logical sequence what happened and where are they now. Okay? Paul had to take up this subject because there was problems in the church at Rome. Remember we talked about the first couple chapters of Rome? There were some problems in there. There were some issues. The original believers, the original church in Rome was Jewish. They were Jews. We found out in the first couple lessons that people went to Pentecost there and they heard everything in their own language. Some of those were from Rome. And they came back, and that church started, and they were Jews that went there. Then some Gentiles came in, and then the Jews were expelled at least twice out of Rome. AD 19 by Tiberius, if you're a Jew, gone. And then Claudius, from 41 to oh, 54, they were expelled. So as the Jews are all gone, the Gentiles are backfilling the church. They're growing. In fact, Paul met uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth, but they were members of the church at Rome. They were members and they were expelled. That's why they were in Corinth. They had to find another place to go and they met Paul. Paul met them. Okay, so they were expelled. So there was a tendency on some part by the Gentile Christians to think down 
on their Jewish brethren uh, as poor and mercifully rescued out of Judaism. And they looked down on them as being members of an apostate nation. <laughs> Don't talk about the Gentiles, they weren't worse. But they looked down on them as being rescued out of this apostate nation. Uh, and and uh, they were, the Jews seemed to be inhibited by these religious rites. Remember when I talked about Hebrews, we did the book of Hebrews. What was the problem with the Jews? They, yeah, they couldn't get out of Judaism. They just brought it with them. They couldn't get out of it. Problem here in Rome. So the Gentiles treated them bad or looked down on them a little bit, felt sorry for them. Then the Jews were angry with the Gentiles and began to resent them because of their accusations towards the Jews. So the Jews started to cling to their fellow unsaved Jews to the point where they started to have solidarity with them. And they kind of left behind their Christianity or they, they started to diminish the the benefits of Christianity. They, they, did, they, they didn't accept those anymore. They, they started to drift away from those to the point where uh, they were so confused about what they believed. They were Christians, but they really felt sorry for their countrymen. And countrymen felt sorry for them because they're getting beat up by Gentiles. So it was really a difficult time Paul had to deal with. There were problems in the church. So let's read the first five verses of chapter number nine. And we're going to see something here. Chapter 8 ended in this great victory, you know. Uh, you know no creature can take me from the love of Christ. And then chapter 1, verse number 9. Chapter 9, verse number 1. I've got that verbal dyslexia. It affects 10 out of 2 people, you know. I know it. I say the truth in Christ. Let's have a word of prayer first. Thank you, Father, for this day, Father. Thank you, Lord, for... I pray as we have, Lord, to look at your Bible, Lord, to learn from it, Father. Pray, Lord, you bless the lesson in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so chapter 9, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who was over all, God bless forever. Amen. Let's go through these verses here. So, he has to introduce the problem here, and that's what he does here. He's really, really upset about this. Paul uh, really loves being an Israelite. He loves his Jewish brethren. He just wants them to get saved. So apparently after Paul makes this big inspirational conclusion at the beginning of, uh, at the end of chapter 8, beginning of chapter 9, all that triumphant, triumphant victory kind of diminishes and he kind of uh, goes into this, uh, this voice of defeat and he bewails the apostasy of his countrymen. They're apostates. They've rejected Christ. They've 
rejected God. They fought against God. And Paul's saying, this, this has got to change. There's got to be a solution to this. He doesn't dwell so much on the magnitude of their guilt, but that they've lost all their ancestral glory and their ancient, they lost everything. They lost it all. The introduction of the Gentiles into the church, as well as a remnant of the Jews that still love God, that was, was Paul's message. God's going to bring in the Gentiles, but he's going to save a remnant of the Jews. You go back through history, what has God always done? Save a remnant of the Jews. He's always done that. In fact, look at verse number 29 in our chapter 9 here. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth hath left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and had been like unto Gomorrah. Unless God had left them a seed, a remnant, they're going to be wiped out. Look at Isaiah chapter, um, where's it at? Chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Paul's going to use a lot of Old Testament prophets in these next few chapters. Because the Jews believe that. That's what they said. They base their, you know, we, we believe in the Old Testament. So he's going to use the Old Testament. If you believe it and you read it and you trust it, this is what it says. <gasps> I never saw that before. You know? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 9 here. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. O, uh, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nursed and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel does, does not know, my people doth not consider." A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, they have gone away backwards. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more, the whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And a daughter of Zion is left, left is, has a cottage and a vineyard and has a lodge in a garden of cucumbers as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left on us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. So, when you read Isaiah, you're going to see the situation is terrible. I mean, it's terrible, terrible. They don't have any food. They're eating their kids. There's cannibalism going on. It was bad. Terrible. And God finds them there and says, you're, you're wiped out. There's going to be a very, he said, a small remnant. Not many people. They're going to survive out of this. And that's the way it's been. So, 
Paul had two main objectives in, in saying all this and quoting this Old Testament scripture. He wants to illustrate, illustrate the sovereignty of God as, ex, as uh, exhibited by the infallible accomplishments of the divine purposes predicted by the prophets, which led to the national rejection of the Jews, of uh, Christ. Rejection of the Jews by God with the exception of this small remnant who were saved. Number two, not only does he want to prove the sovereignty of God, he wants to talk about the purpose of God. And they were fulfilled in bringing in the Gentiles. That was prophesied long ago. We'll look at that as we go further on. And the Gentiles were, uh, were brought in and they were not brought in for any particular need. They, they didn't do anything. They didn't earn it. They didn't warrant it. They were wicked people. They were, um, word escapes me by now, but anyways, they, they were rep reprobate. They were, they were evil. They didn't have anything good in them. But God brought them in, and they had the opportunity to accept Christ. Okay? That was prophesied. Verse number two, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. This was really weighing Paul down. And Paul had reason to really speak kind of angrily with these Jews. These are the same folks that followed him around all through Acts. And everywhere he went, they came in and chased him out. And whatever he taught, they tried to unteach and pollute his message and confuse people. Um, if you read the book of Acts, you'll, you'll see that's happened. Uh, they didn't know what to believe. Read the book of Galatians. Confused. Okay. So there's lots of examples in the book of Acts where Jews had dogged his every step on the mission field, tried to kill him. They pressed charges. And finally, towards the end of the book of Acts, you find Paul being delivered to Rome in chains. Always wanted to see Rome. Not quite that way. Didn't want the extra baggage. But despite all of this history... Paul still loves Israel. He loves his brethren. But his countrymen had renounced, had rejected Christ. And that caused him really bad grief and sorrow. I mean, any person that rejects Christ is bad enough, but when your kinfolk do it as a group, as a nation, that's, that's bad. Now, Paul doesn't quite name the fact of what's going to... He's got to work into this thing, and we're going to see that in, in this chapter. He's got to kind of work up to this thing. He can't just go out and say, God hates you, God's rejecting you, you're not going to go... You know, he can't do that. He's got to kind of bring this up in a logical way where they can understand. Um, can't just sign a mandate, an executive order, like we have today that changes things drastically. He says here in verse number 3, For I could wish... Don't read that wrong. Don't say, I wish I could. He said, I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my kinsmen according to the flesh. The key to this verse is, I could wish. The expression is hypothetical. It's conditional. I could wish if the thing were allowable. If it was possible, if it was even proper, I could wish myself accursed. But I can't. 
Look at, um, look at Exodus chapter 32. Moses made a similar proclamation here. Exodus 32 and verse number 32. Exodus 32, 32. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, dash, and if not, blot me out, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. This was uh, Moses and his compassion for his lost brethren. Amen. I wish I could be blotted out if they could be saved. He was willing to give his life, just like Paul was. But it wasn't possible for them to be accursed. What is God's response to that? Look at the next verse, verse 33. And the Lord said unto Moses... Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. You can't die for them. You can't pay their price. Someone's already done that. And he was able to do it because he was worthy to do it. You can't do that. You, you, you can't get saved for somebody else. That word accursed, that uh, anathema, means spiritually and physically lost forever. Verse number four. Here we go into a little bit of information now. We're going to get here. Who are Israelites according uh, who, to whom pertaineth, pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Who are Israelites? That's who he's talking to. Paul mentioned these things for the, uh, to express his appreciation for what God's done through these Jews over the, the centuries. He's used them. They've done great things. They've had this position as God's chosen people for decades, for centuries. Centuries. Okay? So he wanted to mention it to show his appreciation for what God's done through them and what they've allowed God to do through them. But he recognizes and details the great external privileges belonging to the Jews and they've wasted those also. They didn't use them for their, you know, they didn't use them right. And that, that kind of aggravates Paul's sorrow even more. They rejected the Messiah. And consequently, they are in a deplorable, I could point, point out phrase, they're in a, a deplorable condition right now. They are lost and undone, trusting in works to save them, trying to follow the law, can't do it, and they're in this, terrible condition right now and they're against God and they're against Christ he says who are Israelites there in verse number four who are Israelites Israel means Prince of God Israel was uh, the name given to Jacob by the angel where at yep who said that first that's right he changed uh, Jacob's name to Israel. Uh, Israel's not here today, but he was, his name was changed by his parents when he was born. From baby to Israel or something. I don't know. Anyway. Now this God-given name gave Israel status. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. God was speaking to Moses. And he says, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh... Thus saith the Lord, 
Israel is my son, even my firstborn. So they had status as a nation. They had status. God was going to be with them if they obeyed. Uh, people were going to get saved because of their testimony and how they worshiped God. Uh, people were going to see what they had and, and wanted also. Except they rebelled and didn't follow God's commandments, didn't they? And they worshiped idols. Verse 4 says, The adoption refers to the sonship of Israel. The glory doesn't refer to any specific thing, but all the things that God has done through Israel. All the battles they've been able to win when they trusted God. All the things that have happened because they trusted God, when they trusted God. Uh, God giving them the promised land. All these great things of glory, uh, escaping Israel. All these things that God did, all these great uh, miracles and things that God did through them was glory. And he says here, and the covenants. How many covenants were there? Lots of them. Lots of them. Not just one. They call them one promise sometimes, but it includes all of them. Got a covenant to Abraham. You got one to Isaac. You got one to Noah. You had one, you know, lots of covenants. If you do this, God says, I will do this. If you will follow my commands and obey, I will do thus and so. That was a covenant most of the time. Amen. You do this, I will do this. You don't do this, I'm stopping doing this. That's the way it was. That was a covenant. So covenants. And the giving of the law. Talk about a great event. Moses on the mount there with God, and he's getting the law. Tremendous event. And he says there, and the service of God, and that pertains to the entire priestly, ceremonial, and sacrificial system of the Hebrews, especially the great ceremonies like the Passover and the Day of Atonement. All these things they did. And the promises. These were the great body of testimonies looking forward to the advent of Christ in hope of universal redemption through Him. These great promises, sometimes called the promise, were repeated, emphasized, and typified by numerous devices in a mosaic system, by the prophetic word, by the lives of typical people. Who's typical people? Not just typical people, but people that were types. There's some people in the Bible that were types. Isaac was a type. Abraham was, all these people were types. Types of Christ, types of the church, types of the Christian. All these types were used to point towards Christ. Amen. There were, uh, was typology in these ceremonies, in the meanings of these ceremonies they had. It was types. There was a type through the architecture of the temple and the, the, the uh, uh, tabernacle, the, the furnishings, the placement, where things were done, how things were done. That was all typical. That was all pointing to Christ. And all these served only one purpose, the foretelling of Christ, and making certain that the Jews would know him when he came, his identification. Amen. He did come, and they didn't know him, did they? Because he wasn't what they were expecting. He wasn't what they were looking for. He came. They ignored him. Wanted to kill him. He wasn't what they were looking for. You know. 
Uh, all these were of Israel, and for the Apostle Paul, who believed so intensely in Jesus Christ and the glory of the Lord as it had been prophetically witnessed in Israel, intensified his love and appreciation for the great people of Israel. He loved them. He wanted to help them. He wanted them to understand. Verse 5, Whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who was over all, God bless forever. Amen. Whose are the fathers? There were some great men that are called the fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, more, more of them. The fathers of the nation. Distinguished ancestors. Of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. It was an honor for the Jewish nation that the Messiah was by fleshly descent an Israelite. Jesus was a Jew. Concerning the flesh, and, and, and this declares that Jesus was really a man and truly having a human nature. God was 100% man. And at the same time, 100% God. At the same time, it states that he was had another nature who is over all God blessed forever. There's two natures here. It was very clear in this verse here, undeniable, that Paul's talking about the divine nature of Christ. He's God. Amen. People object to this interpretation. People, we're just talking about you, Israel. Good. In a, in, a, in a good way, yeah. Mostly. Um, <clears throat> so people object to the deity of Christ. And not because of any critical reasons or any kind of thing they can point their finger at. They just reject it. Uh, they base it on theological reasons on the part of some who refuse to admit the identification of Jesus as being, Christ, as being God. They don't want him associated with deity. They want to keep him on that cross as a man. He was a good man, just a carpenter's son. He's God. And the last word of that verse says, Amen. And most commentators don't even talk about this, but it's, 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 the impression prevails that Paul intended to affirm Paul's, uh, 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 affirm Christ's deity with that. Amen. Look at verse number 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken that effect, for they are, all, they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Here we're building up to election here pretty soon. In verse number 11, we're starting that out. Not as though the word of God hath none effect, but for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Not as though... Paul saying, uh, Paul's saying that the state of the Jewish nation today, in its condition, and their rejection by God, does not imply that anything was wrong with the word of God or prophecy. God's word was true. What happened was prophesied. What's happening now was prophesied. Nothing wrong with God's word. Uh, 
It's not as though the word of God had none effect. For they are all not, they are, are not all Israel which are of Israel. They are not, uh, and here's the explanation really. This is the mystery uh, that the Jews as a nation uh, had rejected the Messiah. They are not all true Israelites in a spiritual sense. They rejected him. So he's talking about these Israelites after the flesh. They're, I mentioned last week there are two Israels. There's a fleshly Israel and there's a spiritual Israel. There's a fleshly Israel, there's a true Israel. And we'll talk about those in the next few chapters. God's going to make a distinction here. There's a difference between them. The Jews, therefore, might object and say, well, if God cast us off and rejected us, then God is unfaithful and His promises are ineffectual. Paul answers this objection and says, some are Israelites only in respect of their fleshly descent. They are Jews only because they came from Abraham down through the line. Fleshly descent. I'm a Jew. Fleshly descent. And others, there's a difference, others are children of the promise. So he's putting a difference here. What Paul is saying is that the promise to Abraham and his seed was, was to Abraham and his seed. Da, 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 singular. Not seeds. Plural. And this inheritance does not apply to all of his descendants. That is, the children of Hagar, the children of Keturah, and others. Amen. As a consequence, the revolt of these other sons who derived their birth from Abraham has no effect in preventing the performance and the things prophesied by God from happening. They can't stop God. The rejection of the Jews during the age of grace did not break God's promise to the patriarchs. God made promises to Abraham and Isaac, all these guys. He made promises back there in covenants. And God's not going to break that no matter what the Jews or the nation of Israel does. God's going to keep his promise. There's always a remnant. And that's who he's going to use. Paul had still not yet spoken plainly that Israel, through their rejection of Christ, was at that time itself rejected by God. He hasn't got there yet. He's working on it. He's building up to it. Before saying that unsayable thing, God's rejected you, he wants to soften us a little bit. Soften it a little bit uh, by showing that what he's about to say did not apply to every Israelite. Paul stressed the fact not all of Abraham's children were Jews. The Jews are descendants of, from one man. Who's that? Isaac's son. Isaac's son. Jacob's son. There's a man named Judah. Yeah, That's where they got the name Jew from. Judah. There was a nation of Judah. Remember that? The southern kingdom. Northern kingdom was a nation of Israel. Ten tribes down south. Judah and Benjamin, okay? The ten tribes were lost, so to speak, 
they assimilated into, they never returned back to their promised land. They assimilated into wherever they went, were at. Judah came back. That's the nation of the Jews. Okay. Is there some other tribes mixed in? Probably. But I don't think they could trace themselves back. They probably, their lineage has probably been mixed with uh, Gentile and everything else by now. Who knows? But they're essentially lost. They didn't come back. So Judah was the main tribe. Jews were called Jews because they're from Judah. Okay? So, not all of Abraham's children were Jews. Some were associated with Israel who were not really Israelites in the true sense. And that condition even came back as far as Abraham. Remember when the children of Israel left Egypt, there was a what that went with them? Remember the Israelites, the Jews, and what else followed them out of Egypt? Mixed multitude. Remember them? They weren't Jews. They weren't children of, of Abraham. They were mixed multitude. They were Gentiles, Jews, who knows what else were there. Uh, they were mixed multitude following Israel out. They attached themselves to, to uh, Israel, and they followed them around. Okay? <clears throat> Ishmael was not being counted as Abraham's seed at all, which Paul's going to stress here shortly. Verse number 7, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Abraham had many children. We don't know how many he had. Look at Genesis 25, verse number 6. Genesis 25, verse number 6. He had a child by Hagar. His name was Ishmael. Uh, he had six sons by Keturah. We don't know what happened to them because they're not important. Genesis 25, verse number 5. And Abraham gave all he had to whom? Isaac. But unto the sons of the concubines, plural, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he lived eastward unto the east country. So Abraham had concubines, plural. Keturah was one of them. Hagar wasn't. She was, she was Sarah's handmaid. So he had, we don't know how many children he has. But there's only one that he was interested in, and that was Isaac. So at the very least, all the sons from his other women were sons of Abraham, but they were not counted among the Jews. They weren't counted among the Jews. The error of the Jews was that they thought they were the children of God by being sons of Abraham. Uh, I can point back to Abraham, therefore I am a child of of Abraham. I should qualify for anything. I should, be, I should be accepted. But Paul says, no, you're in error. The promise to Abraham and his seed, singular, was not made to him and all his descendants, only the ones through Isaac. And we'll talk here next week. There was another son named Esau. What happened to him? 
Next week we'll talk about that. So the promise to Abraham and his seed, singular, was not made to him and all his descendants in general, but to a particular seed, a particular person. So Paul was getting ready to announce this, this rejection of Israel from being a favored nation because they rejected Christ. And the great consequence of God calling all people, Jews and Gentiles, into his kingdom without regard to who they are. Paul knew the intensity and the violence which the Jews in general would reject this idea. It was going to be a riot. And he knew the grounds on which they would base their utter rejection of, such this, of this whole concept. You can't, you can't, God can't reject us. The primary one was they are the children of Abraham to the exclusion of all others. They say, we're the children of Abraham, no one else is. Therefore, we alone should be the heirs of the great promises. That's wrong. That was erroneous. And next week, we're going we're gonna, to uh, talk about why that is. And we'll go back right into uh, this thing called election. And we'll have a lengthy discussion about that. And uh, I think you'll understand where that came from, what's, what's going on here. And how it doesn't apply to a person. Election applies to a people. And we can prove that next week. So a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for the lesson today, Father. Pray, God, you'd bless the church service to follow. We pray you'd bless pastors, you preachers, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.